And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I gotta kick myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time it's part two of Fibber McGee and Molly, starring Jim and Marion Jordan from 1942. Then Rex Harrison stars in an exciting spy story on Academy Award Theater from 1946. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? Hey, what's happening in Hollywood? Well, I thought of you when I heard about this story, because I know you're a You car. don't think about me hardly I, ever. I, I did. So No, so this is a rarity. So you are a car aficionado. Yes. So that's what made me think of you. So Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. I have a Yugo. Right, but I have a suggestion for you. Okay. Trade it in. Yeah. Now their wedding car is going into production at Jaguar. Ah. So do, I don't it's know. Jaguar. Is it really? Yeah. Well, I know the commercial says Jaguar. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll say Jaguar. You too. speak like twelve languages, so say it the Just right way. For, Jaguar. I think here in America we generally say Jaguar. True. But either way, Smith, you know what I'm talking Smith. about. It's all the same. So I don't know if you remember the electric Jaguar that Prince Harry drove Meghan Markle into their <laughs> evening reception. Uh, no, I didn't watch okay. any of that. Sorry. All right. Well, I'm going to enlighten you. So Jaguar plans to put the car into production and will release it to the general public soon. I thought you might want to get in early. Yeah. So the official name will be Jaguar E-Type Zero. It will go into production in 2020 and the sale price will be, what's your best guess? Um, Approximately. $185. You're not close. 185,000? It's less or more? It's more. It's go, more than think, 185? Think, think big. 350. Let's go with about 500,000. What? Yeah. Now you're, you can afford that. I can't. Well, I know, but I thought you can save up your shekels. Um, they're taking orders. They call it a modern car in a classic body. That's ah, only half a million, Lisa. That's, That's what nothing I'm thinking. for you. Save up Buy your pennies. Buy me one. <laughs> <laughs> we can all pitch in and we can share yeah, it. Yeah, let's pitch in. Yeah. I'll get it six days a week and you each share one day. Carl doesn't share well. That would not work out well. Wow, that's an expensive so, vehicle. It sure is. But, mm. you know, save up. You never right. know. Thanks, Lisa. Sure. <laughs> well, last time we began listening to Fibber McGee and Molly, he could use the 20 grand that he found in the sofa to uh, put a down payment on that Jaguar. That's right. Right? Let's go back to November 17th, 1942 for the conclusion now to Fibber McGee and Molly. In our juxtaposition, we must not descend to bantying words with the tradesmen. That's you, Mr. Wilcox. You're the tradesman. Take it from there. Hey, what goes on here anyway? Don't give me that Park Avenue pick-a-lily, Fibber. I knew you when you thought a country club was a hole. <laughs> tut, tut, now. None of your impotence, my good man, or I shall have to report to you to your superiors. The, uh... 
Henderson Mop Company of Sheboygan, I believe. <laughs> S.C. Johnson and Son Incorporated, McGee, of Racine, Wisconsin. Oh, yes. Make a note of that, Mrs. McGee. Report of insolent employee. Hey, what is this? You know darn well who we work for, and you know they make self-polishing bloco, the protective floor polish that shines as it dries. I believe I have heard some. Oh, stuff. you've heard it plenty, brother, and you'll hear it some more. You'll keep on hearing that Johnson's self-polishing bloco protects and preserves linoleum against dust and dampness. And that it saves hours of housework because it eliminates old-fashioned floor scrubbing. And you'll hear that... I say, old man, is it quite necessary to be so beastly raucous? Oh, so now I'm raucous. I'm an insolent, raucous tradesman, am I? Well, I don't know what this is all about. But something tells me there's going to be a new face around here. I wonder what Ed Wynn is doing now. Didn't you overdo that a little, McGee? After all, you're not rich yet, you know. Ah, but I soon will be. That 20,000 bucks is just as good as in my pocket right this minute. Look, dearie, whoever that is at the door, let's not say a thing about the $20,000. Okay, maybe the less we say about it, the better. Come in. Oh, hello, Mrs. Uppington. Uh, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee. Hi, Uppy. Beautiful day, ain't it? Uh, definitely not, Mr. McGee. It's horrible. The snow has drifted clear up to... Your clavicle, Uppy? <laughs> oh, no, that can't be right because your clavicle is your collarbone. <laughs> You'll have to excuse him, Abigail. Clavicle is the only bone he knows the name of. <laughs> oh, I understand, Mrs. McGee. Anyway, I was merely going to say that the snow was way up past my spare tire. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep walking in the snow and you'll lose that, Uppy. McGee... <laughs> So the snow is really pretty deep, is it, Abigail? Oh, it's dreadful, my dear. But I felt that I should come over to ask you to return my snow shovel. My houseman informs me that Mr. McGee has had it since last winter. Why, sure. Tell him to come and get it any time, Uppy. Of course, he'll have to sign for it in triplicate. <laughs> when I borrow things, I do it systematic. <laughs> you know, you look like you enjoyed being out in this weather, Abigail. Oh, I, I don't really mind it, my dear. I'm a trooper, you know. And as an actress who has traveled from coast to coast... Incidentally, Abby, uh, did you know the Cherry Sisters? Oh, they were my dearest... No, of course not. <laughs> that was much before my time. Oh. Though my father probably knew them. He was connected with the stage for many years. He was? Oh, sure he was, Molly. He drove it between here and the county seat till the railroad come through. <laughs> And who, may I ask, told you that? Oh, I heard. Uh, well, I... What's the matter, Abigail? Are you cold? You're shivering. No, Mrs. McGee, I am not cold. I was being shaken by the conflict between my patriotism and my impulses. What do you mean, Abby? I mean, Mr. McGee, that in spite of this being a meatless day, I was sorely tempted to give you a few chops with the handle of my umbrella. Well, goodbye. <laughs> Ah, uh, let me see now. 20,000 divided by, with a surtax of 4% on top of the secondary bracket. That'll be 16,700, minus the accrued interest in investments, plus depreciation. Oh, my gosh. Hey, Molly. Yes, McGee. You know what my income tax on that 20,000 bucks is going to be? What? $74,672.90. I'm going to be worse off than I was before. I wish you could find that note so... Oh, Dad, Dad, come in. 
Hello, Mrs. McGee. Hello, Mr. McGee. Oh, hello, Mr. Whipple. Terrible weather, isn't it? Oh, I don't know, Mrs. McGee. I really don't mind the snow. I find it rather inspiring. <laughs> me too, Imp. It inspires me to stay inside with my slippers on. <laughs> I think he means poetically, dearie. Don't you, Mr. Wimple? Yes, Mrs. McGee. I love to sit in the park on a snow, snow, snowy day and feed the squirrels and think up poems. <laughs> Have you batted out any beautiful ballads of late, Wimp? I just wrote one this afternoon, Mr. McGee. I call it, To My Dear Wife. Oh. How sweet. Must be wonderful to have a husband who writes poetry to you. What do you mean, it must be? I used to write poetry to you. I know, dearie, but that was free verse. Mm. Oh. Did Mr. McGee write free verse, Mrs. McGee? Yes. He took it freely from Longfellow, Byron, and Burns. Well, he was a great poet, that Byron. I still think he should have been president. Oh, he couldn't have been, Mr. McGee. He was an Englishman. What are you talking about? Williams Jennings Byron was an Englishman? Come on, Wimpy. Skip it, McGee. I want to hear Mr. Wimple's poem, To His Dear Wife. How does it go, Mr. Wimple? Oh, it's just a simple little thing, Mrs. <laughs> it goes to my dear wife. <clears throat> I wish I was a little squirrely. Well, that wish is granted, Wimple. You've got two more coming. Quiet, McGee. Go on, Mr. Wimple. <laughs> I wish I was a little squirrely, frisking in the trees so early. Chattering down at passerbys and throwing pigs down in their eyes. <laughs> Scampering gaily here and there, leaping gracefully through the air. Storing food up three whole seasons to last through winter and other reasons. Every one of which I often brewed, so when I climb down to dig up food and bring back breakfast to my wife, so true, I can say, here, sweetheart, nuts to you. <laughs> That's very good, ma'am. How'd your wife like it, Mr. Wimple? Sweetie face? Oh, I haven't shown it to her, Mrs. McGee. Besides, she isn't much for modern poetry. She likes limericks. Ever write her any limericks, Wimp? Oh, I started to once. I wrote, There once was a woman named Sweetie Face, whose figure had many a meaty place. <laughs> well? Yes, I am now. <laughs> but I was laid up for weeks and weeks. Well, goodbye now. Goodbye, Mr. <laughs> McGee, I'm going to take one more look through that desk and see if I can't find that note I wrote. Well, if that fails, I'm going to wire all my relatives and see what become of that horsehair sofa. Might be a good idea. Maybe they... McGee, here it is. I found it. Oh, what does it say? What does it say? What does it say? Oh, what shut is... it off. Shut it off. <laughs> Stop shaking my arm. Huh? Listen. Yeah? It says, how about new slipcover for a horsehair sofa? Yeah, but what does that mean? I don't it see... It means this is that horsehair sofa right here. Huh? Aren't I the silly one? Remember, I made this slip cover four years ago. Oh. This is the sofa that was sent from Peoria. Oh, my gosh. You mean I'm sitting right on top of 20,000 bucks? <laughs> Give me my jackknife. Quick. McGee, I'll soon find don't a... cut it to pieces. Take it apart carefully, and then we can... Carefully, my clavicle. I gotta know, and I gotta know quick. I'll fix it. Oh. I'll show old Uncle Jeffy. McGee, stop. Here it is. Look. Wow. Look at that stack of dough. Oh, oh, Mama, we're rich. Hey, Molly, we're rich. Here, take a handful. <laughs> take two hands full. Hot <laughs> diggity. Tonight we go out and paint the town red. Tonight we celebrate. Ah, good old Uncle Jeff. <laughs> What's the matter, Molly? Is there something wrong? McGee. 
Huh? Where was your granduncle Jefferson from? Richmond, Virginia. Why? Nothing. Except this is Confederate money. <laughs> what? Why that dirty, sour <laughs> You know, Molly, I don't regret losing that 20,000 bucks. No? What could I have done with it? Buy clothes, they go out of style. Buy diamonds, they get stolen. <laughs> Buy a yacht, it sinks. <laughs> what good would it be? For $20,000, you can buy a wonderful steak. What kind of a steak would be worth 20,000 bucks? A steak in our country, McGee. War bonds. Oh, oh yes. Good night. Good night, all. The part of Wallace Wimple heard on this program was played by Bill Thompson. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for the makers of Johnson's Black Finishes for the whole band industry. I'd like you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This program has reached you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. And that's Fibber McGee and Molly from November 17, 1942, starring Jim and Marion Jordan, sponsored by Johnson's Wax, as heard on NBC. Great cast in there. Gail Gordon, Bill Thompson, Isabel Randolph, with Harlow Wilcox doing the announcing. And there's that name, Harlow. Works for a guy, works for a girl. Next time I have a baby, it's yeah, going to be it's baby be Harlow. Harlow. Also yeah. works for a pet. That's true, it does. It does work for a pet as well. All right, when we come back from the break, Rex Harrison stars in a great spy story on Academy Award Theater. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hey, fans of Classic Radio, Carl Amari here. I've created a free app just for you. Get 10 Classic Radio shows free in the Classic Radio Shows app. Plus, there are many more shows available for in-app purchase. You can get your free Classic Radio Shows app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The easiest way to get your free app is to log on to Hollywood360radio.com and scroll down to the Classic Radio Shows app banner and click either the Google link or the Apple link. Don't miss out. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app today. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360. Across about 200 radio stations coast to coast. My team, Lisa Wolf and Mike Costello, are here. And we're about to tune in to Academy Award Theater. Now, this series adapted films to radio. The films or the stars of each film being dramatized had to have either won or have been nominated for an Oscar to be presented on this series. Now, it came to CBS Radio in 1946. It was sponsored by the drug company E.R. Squibb and Sons. And this was a very expensive show. For a half hour, they were spending $5,000 a week to produce this show back in the mid-1940s. Squibb decided it was just too expensive and pulled the plug after just 39 weeks on the air. Now, the dramas included Henry Fonda as uh, young Mr. Lincoln, Cary Grant in Suspicion, Ronald Coleman in Lost Horizon, Humphrey Bogart in The Maltese Falcon, and this particular episode of Night Train starring Rex Harrison. Let's go back to November 13, 1946. Here's part one now of Academy Award Theater. Squibb presents Academy Award. Tonight, Rex Harrison in Night Train. 
every week, Squibb brings you Hollywood's finest. The great picture plays, the great actors and actresses, techniques and skills chosen from the honor roll of those who have won or been nominated for the famous Golden Oscar of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Tonight, Squibb brings to Academy Award the well-known screen actor Rex Harrison. You will hear Mr. Harrison in the role he created for the screen in the thrilling mystery Night Train, the picture which, for the best original screen story of the year, was nominated for the 1941 Academy Award. My real name is Randall, but I... I was known once as Major Herzog. I have a number somewhere around the place and some newspaper clippings and a, and a medal. Yes, I have about everything one needs, including nightmares, to remind me that not so long ago I was one of those calm, nerveless chaps the books describe as a British agent. Right now I'm addicted to gardening and I propose to cultivate the gentle passion for the rest of my days. Unless, of course, they need me. God forbid. My little excursion into darkest intrigue began about the time Mr. Chamberlain's umbrella failed to open at Munich, and we entered that Gilbert and Sullivan era known then as the phony war. Now, believe me, there was nothing phony about mine. Oh, uh, hello, Randall. How are you? Fine. Sorry to bring you down to London tonight. You must apologize, too, for all the secrecy, but we've got a crisis again. I know. We were just discussing the Beaumarsh affair. Yes, I... Uh, you slipped up badly there, didn't you? Uh, yes. Yes, I... uh, we needed Beaumarsh, frightfully, you know. And after all our trouble in getting him away from the Nazis and out of Germany, you let them come along and steal him away from under your nose. Yes, well, you see, they were, they were very convincing, posed as officers in the Royal Navy... Said they were to take him to dinner aboard Admiral Somebody's ship. Uh, they dined him all right, but aboard one of their U-boats. Uh, I, uh, I underestimated their nerve. Well, the war office has been stinking about it. They take the view that this armor plating of Beaumarsh's will make all the difference in the coming war. And by tomorrow night, Beaumarsh will be in Berlin where they won't lose any time in putting the screws on the poor devil. Tomorrow night? That means he won't be at the Admiralty until... Let's see, uh... Saturday morning. Well, that's about it. Why? Nearly 48 hours. What are you driving at? Well, they got him out of England. Why shouldn't we get him back? Oh, but that's quite impossible. Why? I know my way about. Speak German like a stormtrooper. I've been five years in Berlin. We might be in a shooting war before you get back. You know what that would mean. Yes, sir. Well, you know perfectly well I can't give you permission to do it, and the fact that you make such a proposal shows you're obviously not yourself. You agree? Well, uh... I quite agree with you. Uh, well, Randall, I suggest you take a week's sick leave. Uh, take a complete change of air. Well, I must say this is mighty sporting of you, Randall, patriotic and all that. The highest tradition of the service. Right. Oh, it's nothing so noble as all that. And after all, gentlemen, I did lock my copybook a bit and... And then, of course, there's, uh, there's Beaumash's daughter. Really? I say. Such a romance, eh? <laughs> well, sort of. Uh, gentlemen, I'll need some letters of introduction and that sort of thing. And, and, oh, yes, is there someone about who would draw up my will? 
but it, it wasn't really so bad uh, getting into their benighted country. I had some wonderful credentials, a beautiful uniform and the manners of a pig. My German was excellent, and my Heil Hitlers were things of beauty. I called upon Commander Kampenfeld at the Admiralty in Berlin. This is to introduce to you Major Ulrich Herzog of Corps Engineers. Major Herzog is in Berlin, an important technical mission for which he requires Admiralty assistance. I want to refer to certain technical evidence given before the Naval Heavy Armaments 1935 Committee. If you will let me have a copy of the report, Commander. Uh, certainly, Major. Uh, it will take only a moment. I have my own filing system here. Um, have you been in Berlin long, Major Herzog? Nine. I only left the Siegfried Line last Tuesday. Mm, things must be pretty hectic there. Ah, yeah. Yeah, indeed. I was there in a consultative capacity. A steel fortification. You possibly have heard. Oh, yes, 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 of course. Uh, how is our steel? Crop plating is poor. That is why I am in Berlin. Do you realize that the steel used by the Czechs is better than anything we have got? Mm-hmm. But uh, surely now that we control this color works... Not enough. We let the only man who counted there slip through our fingers. Bomarsh. Yeah. Wonderful fellow on armor plating. Produced incredible results. And where is he? Working for Britain. No. Bomarsh is no longer in England. What? He was brought back to Germany only a few hours ago. In fact, Major, he's in this building right now. Well, this completely alters my plans. Perhaps you can arrange for me to see Herr Bomash at once. I'm afraid it is impossible. But surely there is no harm in my asking him a few questions. It is beyond my province, Major. If you uh, could get permission from Admiral von Hassinger, but... Uh, <laughs> Nine, his office is like a kingdom of heaven. And if anything, a little bit more exclusive. But you do not mind trying, Commander. After all, I've always felt I'd more or less earned the right to get one foot at least in heaven. That's the first portion of Academy Award. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to Academy Award. Anna, it is useless for your father to resist us like this. You must persuade him. You will both be given reasonable freedom. Freedom? Here? In time, you will see things the way I do. The way everyone in Germany does. I'm not a German. Oh, Germany is as much your country as it is ours. We don't hate the Czechs. We only wish to protect them. And you are protecting the people of Poland? Not enough. They've gone too far, Fräulein Bomash. You will be placed in a concentration camp until your father comes to his senses. Must. Must you drag my daughter into this? Achtung! The chief of naval staff, Vice Admiral von Hassinger. Well, Karl Marsen, is this the way the Gestapo conducts a meeting? Your Beaumarsh wringing his hands, his daughter in tears. Come, man, there must be more persuasive methods of getting valuable cooperation. Excellency, yes. Yeah. Oh, never mind. This is Major Herzog, Corps of Engineers. Perhaps you've heard of him, the man behind the Siegfried line. Eh, Herzog? Only one of the men, sir. 
The Führer is responsible for the line as he is responsible for everything else. Yes, Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. I'd like to have your report, Marson, now. Certainly, Admiral. You will uh, remember me, Herr Bomash? I did not expect you to see you again so soon. And you, Fräulein Bomash? I see you have not forgotten. It must be four years. Oh, yes. It must be. Just a moment, Major. I'm sorry, but I must ask Herr Bomash and Fräulein Bomash to step into the other room. Guard, take them away. This way. Maybe we will meet again, Gnädiges Fräulein. I thought it unwise, sir, to speak in front of Beaumash. So far, we've made no impression on him. I do not agree. He looks ten years older. Beaumash is not the one to be bullied in the cooperation. No? What would you suggest? I knew Fräulein Beaumash in Prague. She has a great influence on her father and is the one person who can make him change his mind. Oh, Marson here has tried that. He's our Gestapo man who got the Beaumarshes out of England under the very noses of British military intelligence. My congratulations, sir. Thank you, sir. But if I may say so, I do not think Herr Marson is a suitable person to influence the lady. Then who do you think would be more suitable? Myself, for instance. You? Why not? You saw the way she looked at me when I came in. I think if you were to spend a few hours with her, I might induce her to, to reason with her father. You knew her that well in Prague? It was uh, spring, sir. Well, I think you're something of a dog, Major. I doubt, sir, whether the Major's qualities will make an impression on her, sir. I did not know that you were acquainted with my qualities, sir. Well, we let him try it. No harm done. If he doesn't succeed, leave all the arrangements to me. It requires knowledge of maneuvers, eh, Major? Oh, quite, Admiral. Definitely. Good luck. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler! Well, so far, so good. Miraculously good. I went to the hotel where the Beaumashes were kept prisoners. I convinced them, especially Anna, that she'd have to play up to me, to behave as if we were renewing an old love affair that began in Prague in the spring. Anna tells me now, when I get around to asking her, that she was only acting then. But, of course, that's the way of wives, isn't it? Anyway... I wasn't acting my part at all. I meant it. Oh, one more thing. I shall have to spend the night here. That is necessary. Yes, yes, the place is absolutely crawling with Gestapo. Uh, have you any sporting instinct? Why? I'll toss you who takes the couch in the other room. You behave as if this were all a joke. Don't you realize how much depends on our getting out of Germany? No good is be no good being intense about it. I don't like the, the facing a firing squad any better than you do. What do you mean? England may be at war with Germany tomorrow. Oh. Now just keep trying. Try to pretend you find me unbearably attractive. <laughs> if a woman ever loved you like you love yourself, it would be history. Now what? I'll take it. Hello? German Admiralty. Hello? Yeah? Herzog here. Yes, sir? Sorry to disturb you at this hour, Major Herzog. We have had to alter our plans. Orders have come from Munich that Bormash is to go there by first plane. But this is ridiculous. Cannot that be delayed for a few hours? Impossible. The plane leaves in an hour. Führer's orders. Heil Hitler. What is happening? They're sending your father to Munich at once. There's only one chance. Leave this hotel. Scuttle. It's an old German custom. But the guards downstairs. We got into the Admiralty. We get out of here. 
Get your clothes together. I'll tell your father. We leave in five minutes. I have been instructed, sir, to leave immediately with Herr Bumash. I shall not require you. Very well, sir. Shall I get you a taxi, sir? I will call one myself. Wait. Steady. You've got to act as if you were under Hitler's orders. Look, we're trapped. Got more cheap, Herr Marvin. Well. Well? I didn't expect you to be here in the lobby waiting, Major. I'm ordered to escort Herr Bomash and his daughter to Munich. Really? The controller phoned me a few minutes ago, and I was about to drive them to the Admiralty myself. Orders were changed, sir. We are to take the train. Of course, the, the train. It leaves in 50 minutes. Very well. We are ready. You, sir? Certainly. Were you not told? I have the Admiral's authority to travel with them. You see, he feels it essential that Herr Bomash should be persuaded to comply with our wishes before he reaches headquarters. I was progressing extremely well with Fräulein Bomash when this happened. I see. Very good, sir. Yes, excellent. This way, Herr Bomash, your arm. My car, Fräulein. The Führer is waiting. What is the matter, Herr Marsen? This is not a scheduled stop for the express. I do not know, sir. Very unusual. But then these are unusual times. If you will escort Fräulein and Herr Bomash, I'll find out the trouble. Of course. Come, my dear, we've got to get off here. But, darling, I thought the Führer was in such a hurry for us to arrive in Munich. Shh, one doesn't question the vagaries of the Führer. I beg your pardon, Major. What was that you said? I said one does not question the orders of the Führer. Of course not. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Watch your step, Fräulein. This way, Herr Bomash. I say, um, did you notice that German officer who just came out of the train? Yes, Caldecker. Why? Well, my dear Charters, I could have sworn it was old Dickie Randall. We were at Bailey together. He played for the gentleman once. Really? Hmm. But if he's a German officer, how could he be Dickie Randall? Huh? Well, here they come. Why don't you ask him, old boy? Yes, I shall, old boy. Yeah. I say, um, excuse me, old boy, but um, aren't you old Dickie Randall? Mayor Hutzog, Corps of Engineers. Oh, oh right, sorry. Dash it, I, I must say he looked like old Dickie. That man, you know him? Yes, Helicor Corbett. It was close. What will happen when we get to Munich? The car will be waiting. Probably a big crowd. I shall ask for a second car so we can be alone. If they don't give it to us. They will. Because by that time we shall be on the verge of persuading your father to work for Germany. But you, on the other hand, must be asking for time to think. You get the idea? Yes. But how can we... All we have, the, only the chauffeur to deal with, and after that, Switzerland. Switzerland? Long way from Munich. The only way out of this fortress, we shall have to make it. I say, uh, do you know why we stopped, old man? No, I don't. Why? Oh, I just had it from a train man. Old England's declared war. Not really. Hmm. I say, I want to put a call through to Berlin. Oh? Why? I left my golf sticks there. Can't leave them behind just because of war on you, know. Oh, here's a booth. Oh, excuse me. That German chap in there, that's the one with old Dickie. If it was old Dickie, I say, 
Try this extension. Yes, sir. This is Martin reporting, sir. I say, listen. Good. Major Herzog is not known to the war office. No officer of that name on the list. We believe him to be an enemy agent. Yes, sir. You will carry on with him to Munich. Let him think he's getting away with it. We will be waiting for you there. Very good. Interesting, what? Very. Herzog isn't Herzog. And they're going to do him in when we get to Munich. Then if old Herzog isn't old Herzog, the chap might be... Right! Yes. He might jolly well be old Dickie Randall. Joe. All aboard! If I could uh, wash my hand. I say, um, if, if you're Dickie Randall, old chap, you're batting on a sticky wicket. All right, Colter, I got your note. What is it? Oh, this is Charters, an old friend of mine. How do you do? Uh, how do you do? Frightfully crowded here, what? Oh, what's it about? Well, I, I was phoning Berlin for my golf clubs when old Charters overheard that chap you were with. Looks like a Gestapo chap. He is a Gestapo chap. You know they're sending a military escort to rest you in Munich. Yes, yes. You see, you see, you're Randall. Um, Randall, aren't you? Yes, of course you are. And, and they know that you're not Herzog. Now listen, I can't tell you everything. There isn't time. But I've got to get that old man and the girl out of the country at all costs. What, an official job? Are you two fellas going to help me? What, against Germany? Absolutely, old man. Thanks to the wall. Rather. <laughs> Fräulein, is the tea left? Yes, I think so, Albert. There's no time for tea. We are coming into the Munich station. Ah, enough of this comedy. There is no such person as Major Herzog. He's a British agent trying to get you and your father out of Germany. Ulrich! Forget the Ulrich, darling. The Gestapo knows everything. Thank you. You're going to give yourself up. Looks like it, Herr Bomash. Don't you realize what this means? Yes, I do, but he's got a gun and I haven't. What you take me for, Bulldog Drummond? Oh, I told you this would happen. Your scheme was absolutely childish. Why didn't you stay in England instead of coming over here and deliberately throwing your life away? You fool. Thank you, my sweet. Look out. Stop! Shut up, Gestapo. Now give me that gun and get to sleep. Oh, that was so fast. Oh, yes, I can move once in a while. Uh, you uh, called for the guard, Major Herzog? Basically fit these Nazi uniforms, eh? Okay, call it good charters. You can carry the Gestapo into another compartment and lock the door. Very good, sir. I say, he looks like we've struck a blow for old England already, eh? <laughs> Come on, lift him up, Caldecott. There's a good fellow. Where are the Nazi guards? Oh, well, we find it, found it very necessary to drop them off in the tunnel. Uh, probably never be farmed. The military escort is coming. What do we do now? We drop it through. I'd order Caldecott to drive... Then we'll make a dash for Switzerland. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Orders from the 5th Army Headquarters for the arrest of Major Herzog. I fear you will need a stretcher. A prisoner tried to escape and I had to deal with him. You will find him in the last compartment, coach 66. What transport have you? Two cars, sir. Excellent. I should take one. I am under orders to escort Herr and Fräulein Bowmash to General von Klontisch without delay. Very good, sir. Coach 66, you said, sir. Right. That'll be all. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Hitler. 
say, old Dickie, we're being followed. Of course. I may be a bit silly, but uh, how do we get across the Swiss frontier? Narrow road leads up to the top of the mountain. Oh, what's over the top? Switzerland. Anything in between? 6,000 feet drop. Again, you <laughs> Shooting, I say, they can't do that. I hope you're right. Now, hold on. We turn here for the summit. Never mind the car. We gained about five minutes on them. Here's the cable car. You mean we have to cross in that basket? That or nothing, darling. Yes, sir. We want to cross to Switzerland. Sorry, sir. We are at war. I had orders yesterday to close the cable car. You have new orders from Gestapo headquarters in Munich. Yes, sir. But I must phone for verification. That'll have to be your verification. In you go, darling. You too, Hey Bomash, quickly. I, I, I see. Uh, do we know how to operate this thing now? Perhaps we shouldn't have shot that chap. Well, we'll we'll run it somehow. You chaps better pile in. I'll start the mechanism and try to keep these those nuts off until you get across. No, nothing stirring, old bean. All or nothing. We'll stay. Hey, Charters? Of course. Nothing else a chap can do. Back to the wall. Now, come on, get started. You chap, you chaps, go in with the others. Carry on for me if anything happens. Remember, the bow mashes must get to England. No, no, I won't leave without you. Now get in and shut up. I'm starting the motors. We can't leave you. Couldn't run out on old Dickie. Get going. That's an order. Darling. I'll be waiting. Goodbye, darling. Look out, Randall. Here they come. Get the man in the control room. Yeah. You others shoot down the cable car basket. Kill them all. I won't leave here. I know what has happened to him. But, my dear, we can't stay overnight atop this mountain, even if we are in Switzerland. Poor old Dickie. They must have got him. Well, the shooting has stopped. I think we'd better carry on. Orders he gave, you know. Take the Beaumarches to England. Yes, yes, right you are. It seems a shame, though, to leave old Dickie's body on Kraut's soil. After all, you know, he, he played for the gentleman. We don't know what happened. Fog closed down. Can't see a crawl. Oh, it's no fog, old girl. It's a cloud. A big old cumulus nosing around. Listen. I see. I see. It's the, it's the old cable car. Maybe those chaps mean to come across after us. Uh, I, I wish I had a gun. Now, take it easy, Mr. Beaumarsh. We'll give them a bit of a reception. Hey, Caldecott. I used to shoot with the guards, you know. Well, get back, girl. Get back. We'll need all the room. Take a position, Charters. Right, I'm ready. And shoot when you see the red tips of their snouts. Steady on. Here it comes. Blast that cloud in our way. It's coming out of the cloud. Steady. Give them a hail, old boy. Halt there, I say, or we shall commence hostilities. I can't see anyone for the cloud. Look out for a trick. Darling. Are you there? Hello, darling. Oh, listen, give me a hand. Dickie. But, Harry, how did you get away from them? Pull me out of this thing and then cut the cables. You ready? Oh, not for questions now. Grab his hand. Now, Charters, I'll blast the cable when he's safe aground. Hurry it up. We can't, we can't take forever. Well, here we are, Dickie. Grab my hand. Here we go. Look out, look out. Here goes the cable. Well, I... I guess that takes care of everything. Except... Oh, darling. Yes, except the bride. You may tell the papers that the bride wore Edelweiss. 
and the medding, medding of the wedding march was yodeled by the quaint peasants in Alpine Tower. Ah, we shall shove off. Old England's quite a walk from here. Wednesday, another great picture. The House of Squibb present Academy Award starring Greer Garson in Brief Encounter. Today's performance of Night Train was written for radio by Frank Wilson with an original musical score composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Our producer-director is D. Engelbach. Rex Harrison appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox and may soon be seen in their production of The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. This is Hugh Brundage bidding you good night until next Wednesday at the same time when you're invited to listen again to Academy Award presented by the House of Squibb on name you can trust. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Academy Award Theater with Night Train from November 13, 1946, starring Rex Harrison. And that was sponsored by Squib, as heard on CBS. Let's take a break. Then it's more of Hollywood 360. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Sarah Knight-Adamson. I'm the national film critic for the website sarahsbackstagepass.com. I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association in L.A. and a voting member of the Critics' Choice Film Awards. Coming up next, you'll hear a film review of a movie that's playing near you. Crazy Rich Asians, rated PG-13, by Warner Brothers Pictures. Similar to a modern-day Cinderella fairy tale, Rachel Chu, Constance Wu, is unknowingly dating a crazy rich Asian guy, Nick Young, Harry Golding, who in theory is Singapore's equivalent to London's royalty. Nick invites Rachel to attend the wedding of his best friend in Singapore, and the over-the-top opulence is brought to life. Let's take a listen. It's like the Asian bachelor. These people aren't just rich. They're crazy rich. Now you really should have told me that you're like the Prince William of Asia. That's ridiculous. Much more of a Harry. <laughs> Mom, this is Rachel Chu. This romantic comedy is unique as it's multi-generational. Here's another clip. If Nick chose me, he would lose his family. And if he chose his family, he might spend the rest of his life resenting you. The bottom line, I'm way in. Three and a half stars out of four. Director John M. Chu's adaptation of Kevin Kwan's book, stands on its own by adding key scenes and tweaking characters' roles. Constance Wu, whoa, she's a standout. Her strong performance is definitely award-worthy. There's so much to love about this film. The set designs are jaw-dropping, as well as a couture wardrobe accompanied by a snappy soundtrack. Here's a film that sweeps you away into a culture that most of us really know nothing about. Check out all of my reviews and interviews on sarahsbackstagepass.com. See you next week. 
Hey fans of Classic Radio, Carl Amari here. I've created a free app just for you. Get 10 Classic Radio shows free in the Classic Radio Shows app. Plus, there are many more shows available for in-app purchase. You can get your free Classic Radio Shows app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The easiest way to get your free app is to log on to Hollywood360radio.com and scroll down to the Classic Radio Shows app banner and click either the Google link or the Apple link. Don't miss out. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app today. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Well, next time, Frank Sinatra stars as Rocky Fortune from 1954. Then J. Carol Nash stars as Luigi Basco on part one of Life with Luigi. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.